From the San Luis Valley in southern Colorado, this is Solace Radio. Well, this is a, a very near and dear topic to me. And it's the way this came about is I was asked by some friends of mine in Florida to come and do some work down there. Um, and I did, spiritual work. And then they asked me, would I do a Bible study on heaven for them? And these are very, very devout believers. These are very committed folks. These are people that have, um, you know, uh, pro-life centers all over the nation, all over the world. These are very committed folks, okay? These are not just believers in name only or church attenders. And as I was going over, you know, the Lord said, just don't go over heaven. Everybody wants to know about heaven, right? There's so many books out there. I saw heaven, I saw heaven. Give me one about hell. You don't see too many of those. Anyway, we'll get into that. Um, I've got to be careful. I want to try to be very careful today. So I'm going to go slow. Um, I noticed that very few believers know the abodes of death. They don't know. They know. They know heaven and hell. They don't know much about Abraham's bosom, about paradise, about Gehenna, about the lake of fire. They don't know much about Sheol and Hades. And I thought, wow, they should know this. So we're going to spend the next, this Shabbat, next Shabbat going over, because you should really know this. And as always, it's not as complex as most people make it out to be. I have noticed, though, I'm 63, so I'm not, you know, I'm not 33 anymore like when I first got saved. 33 is still a young man. Um, 63 is not the old man of the sea, but it's not that young either. I mean, I've lived a lot of life, and I've been all over the world. I've preached in six continents. And I could tell you that today, this is what I see. Again, I could be wrong. But I see people plan more for the future than ever before in the history of the world. Pensions, 401ks, IRAs, Social Security, life insurance, and the list goes on. I'm not even mentioning SEPs and 509s and all the other things. I told Bernard that it's just too much. But do you see how many different investment vehicles there are for our future that nobody even knows if they have that future? But where does our future end? I won't get into all the statistics because there's too many, and I don't want to turn this into a statistical meeting. But 52% of Americans believe in heaven and hell. That means almost half don't. Now, the reason why I use America and not Uganda is because America is supposed to be one of the most Christian nations in the world, correct? But I know it's changing, but what I'm saying is it's still one of the most Christian nations in the world. You need to travel a little bit, okay? I say this to you all the time. You southern folk who think, you know, Chick-fil-A is closed all over the world on Sunday. Now, that sounds sarcastic, but you've got to get out of your shell. The world is not making with 600 churches and choir practice on Wednesday. If you travel, you'll see what I'm talking about. The faith in Europe is dead. Now, you might have a cousin who lives in Paris who's a Christian. Come on, stop talking to me about the exceptions, will you? And please try and stop getting so easily offended. Can you please, please? My God, you serve a Lord that was hung naked. He was so offended for you. Can't you be a little bit? 37% of Americans believe in a bodily resurrection of the dead. That means almost two-thirds don't. And this is the most Christian nation in the world. Do you see what I'm getting at? So even though I have a captive audience, supposedly of born-again believers, and those watching online, 
I don't want to just talk about the afterlife unless you really believe in the afterlife. You have to realize that most people that you talk to, if you do evangelism like I do, don't even believe in an afterlife. So if you don't believe in an afterlife, who cares? You follow? Then I'm going to live my life the way, philosophically, I, I choose to. And if there's no judgment at the end, and there's no destination at the end, who cares? As long as I'm not a serial killer, I'm not such a bad guy. Hey, everybody cheats on their taxes, right? That's the philosophy. That's the philosophy. So first you have to establish if a person believes in an afterlife. Now, there's no book like the book of Job in the Bible, and I'm not going to go over it in detail. We did a study on it, I think, for three Shabbats. If you never got a chance to look at it, look at it, because it explains a lot about life and suffering. But I want to show you one verse from the book of Job. It's 14.14. This is what it says. Job asks, if a man dies, will he live again? It's a great question. It's a phenomenal question. I mean, it asks this, and it's very simple. If a man dies, does he? Now, asking the question is easy. I just did. It's a little bit more difficult finding someone, not me and not you, someone to answer the question with authority and experience. Now, who do you think that someone would be? Yes. And why would Yeshua be the only one who can answer that question? Let's look at John 3.13. It will give us an answer. No one has gone up into heaven. There is only the one who has come down from heaven, the Son of Man. So I would think since he came from heaven, he would have the authority and experience to answer Job's question. Would you agree? Okay. Yeshua is the... Now, I know what you might be thinking right off the cuff, some of you Bible experts. What about Enoch? Did anybody think that? Raise your hand if you thought that. It's okay. It's a great thought. It means that you know your Bible. And what about Elijah? Check your Bible, though. Elijah and Enoch were taken up, not ascended by their own power. Do you follow? And Elijah and Enoch did not come from heaven, but Yeshua did. Okay, so you have to be careful when you read your Bible. You've got to be careful. You can't, be, you can't jump on things too quick without trying to just process it a little bit, okay? But I got that out of the way because I didn't want to get a letter from somebody. You know those people, right? They know everything. They're so smart, right? They're, they're brilliant, but they can't love their neighbor. They're brilliant, but they can't share the gospel with their, their stranger. They're brilliant, but they can't feed the homeless. It doesn't matter how much you know. It matters what you do. Don't you understand? Yeshua is coming back, right? You believers? Yeshua is coming back in his Father's glory. It's going to be glorious. His recompense. He's bringing a reward for everything we've done. Not your theology, sir. He's not rewarding you on your theology. If, if you get rewarded on your theology, you're going to get a demerit because you see through a glass dimly. Do you, think you're going to, do you really think you're going to sit down and impress Yeshua with your theology? Well, what I believe about the rapture, well, idiot, first of all, you weren't raptured, so I just got here. It, what I'm saying is he's going to, re, to reward us based on what we've done. Rabbi, you saying it's works righteousness? Absolutely not. I'm saying that your works evidence the fact that you are righteous, right? What, what evidence is your faith? Not your mouth, not what you say. Clearly, it's not what you say. It's not what you believe. That doesn't evidence your faith. Works evidence the faith, and faith produces the works. Okay, so Yeshua is the one person who can speak with any real authority and experience regarding the afterlife. The only one in the universe. There's not another one. 
Not Buddha. Buddha the re, you know why Buddhists believe in reincarnation? Because Buddha had a revelation about his past lives. And everybody's like, okay, so we must all have past lives. Mormonism, Jehovah Witnesses, I don't trust Charles Taze Russell. No, no offense. Or, or who's that other one in the Seventh-day Adventist, Eddie? The big, the big wig? Come on, some of you were Seventh-day Adventists. Stop looking at me like that. What was her last Mary Eddie? Was that her name? Yeah, yeah. She made a lot of false prophecies too. I don't trust false prophets. Joseph Smith, I don't trust, sorry, I know I'm, I could be offending you. I was raised to believe that Yeshua wasn't the Messiah. I'm not offended, but the truth will set you free. Stop hanging on to these people. Hang on to Yeshua. He's the only one. He is the truth. He doesn't speak truth. Did these other people, did Charles Taze Russell and Joseph Smith speak some truth? Yes, but they didn't speak all truth. Yeshua is the truth. Yes, you can clap for Yeshua. Don't, don't, don't worry, I know better. I know you're not clapping for me, trust me. What gives Yeshua soul authority to speak of heaven is that he came from there. That's where he came from. Yeshua was not merely a human teacher sent from God. He was one who lived with God the Father from all eternity. And he came down into this world. No human being had access to the presence of God continually in the way which he had. He could ascend to God's dwelling place in a very unique way because he had descended out of heaven to this earth. Yeshua, with his firsthand experience in heaven, presents us with three basic truths about the subject of life after death. One, he says there is an afterlife. That he established. There is. So even though 37% of Americans believe in a bodily resurrection of the dead, 63% are wrong. Two, when a person dies, there are two possible destinations to which he or she may go. And we'll get more into this next week. We're going to talk about the good stuff this week. Next week, we'll talk about some of the rough stuff. Three, there is only one way to ensure a positive experience after death. That's what he said. That's what he established. There is definitely an afterlife. When a person dies, there's two ways to go, and there is only one way to ensure you go the right way, not the wrong way. Yeshua affirms there is an afterlife a number of times in Scripture. This is not going to be exhaustive. Obviously, we have just so much time. Let's look at one example. We'll start with Mark 12, 18. Then some sedukim, you know who the sedukim are? I'm reading from more of a Judaic Bible because the Bible is written by Jews. If the Bible is written by Jews, shouldn't the Bible you read be Judaic? King James wasn't a Jew. Not only wasn't he a Jew, but I don't believe he was a believer. I know that hurts some of you. But if he was a believer, why did they secede England? If he was such a believer and he was the king, why did the separatists and the Puritans have to escape that English religion in the 1600s? Didn't you ever put two and two together? If he was a Christian, he was a king, why would they have to run away from an unchristian society? Because the Church of England was not Christian. That's why they had to leave. And when you're the king, you get to do what you want, and everybody abides by what you say. Then some Sedukim, the Sadducees, came to him. So they come to Yeshua, and they are the ones who say there is no such thing as resurrection. Question, did the Sadducees believe in resurrection? No. No, some were like, I don't know. They are the ones who say there is no such thing as resurrection. It's not a trick. Who's buried in Grant's tomb? 
What was the color of Washington's white horse? This Jew's trying to trick me. So they put to him a question. In Hebrew, a shelah. It's a spiritual question, okay? So, so far, here we have Yeshua. He's going to have an encounter with the Sadducees. They were the free thinkers of their day. Who were the free thinkers of our day? Liberals. Do I hate liberals? No. Do I dislike liberalism? Yes. Guys, I don't get too political, and I could care less who you voted for, okay? But I'm entitled to vote the way I want. And because I didn't vote the way you do, or you didn't vote the way I do, doesn't make us arch enemies. Christians have a new trinity. It's called politics, sports, and money. I talk about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But because you should thank God you live in a country that you get to vote for who you want. Thank God you do, because I've been to places where they hold guns to your head. So don't get mad at me if I vote a certain way. I'm entitled. And the way I vote, just so you know how rabbi votes, I vote, I try to find the closest I can to somebody who remotely has any sense of God, which is hard to find these days. But that's who gets my vote. So cut the crap, all you political nuts. Okay? I'm sick of it. And that's why this town is so divided, because you talk more about politics than the Lord. The free thinkers, you know who they were? They were wealthy. All the Sadducees were wealthy, and they held positions of power. Because when you're wealthy, you hold positions of power, including that of the chief priest. The chief priest. They built a system of doubt and denial. How? Through tolerance and relativism. I know why you're laughing, but don't you realize there's nothing new under the sun? Rabbi, today, today is the same as yesterday. It's just getting worse. It's the same. The senators of Rome are just like the politicians in Washington. They also, sadly enough, denied the doctrine of the resurrection as well as the afterlife. They believed that when you died, it was over. That's why God named them the Sadducees. They were sad, you see. Don't even go there. I've heard some of your jokes. You're not that funny. Nice try. Don't give up your day job. So they come to Yeshua because they didn't believe in the resurrection, and they knew that, by the way, Jews believed in the resurrection. They still do. Any religious Jew. In fact, it's in their 13 principles. Yeah. You who raised the dead, sleeping in their grave, you are mighty to save. They sing it all the time. So just in case you're not sure if Jews believe in that, religious Jews absolutely do. And why? Because it's all over the Old Testament. Resurrection isn't a New Testament idea. (laughs) Anyway, so they came to Yeshua with this preposterous story. You know the story? What are they trying to do? They're trying to ridicule the idea of resurrection. Trying to ridicule it. So let's go to the next verse, 19. It says, Rabbi, he was a rabbi. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't an apostle. I wonder how they got that name. How do they get that name? Some of you went to churches, you had leaders that were apostles. How did they become an apostle when there was only 12? How did that happen? That's, that's a miracle right there. Rabbi, Moses wrote for us. Now, why did he say Moses? They were staunch about a literal interpretation of the Bible. The Pharisees, the other group who, by the way, they didn't get along with at all. What else is new? 
right? It's just denominationalism. Denominations didn't get along then, they don't get along today. The Pharisees believed in an oral interpretation. The Sadducees believed in a literal, and they focused on the first five books. Now, you might think, Rabbi, you know a lot about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It wouldn't take you more than a half an hour to learn this, too. You've read this for years. You've read the Bible a lot longer than I have. Didn't you want to know who these people are? Well, it didn't matter. It should matter. The only way the Pharisees and Sadducees got together, when they came against Yeshua. Then they put their differences down, right? Don't you know that demons get along beautifully? They get along. There's, there's much more unity in, in Satan's kingdom than there are in God's. And that said, Rabbi Moshe wrote for us, talking about the five books, right? The Torah. That if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no child, his brother must take the wife and have children to preserve the man's family line. So, in other words, if my dad... And my dad had died before he had any children. He died when I was 15. But if he died before any children, then his brother, I had an uncle. He was not married. But even if he was married, he would have had taken my mother as his wife and impregnate her to continue the family line. Is that true? Did, were they telling the truth? They said Moses wrote that. Yes, it's true. I'll show you. Deuteronomy 25. Why do I put this up? Because... You guys don't, you guys hardly believe me when I show scripture. You think I'm going to try to do it without? If brothers live together and one of them dies childless, his widow is not to marry someone unrelated to him. Her husband's brother is to go to her and perform the duty of a brother-in-law. That's the law. That's the part of the brother-in-law that we miss by marrying her. That's the law. The first child she bears will succeed to the names of his dead brother, so that his name will not be eliminated from Israel. Isn't that beautiful? That's actually beautiful. I know you think of it, that sounds sexually crazy. God's not sexually crazy. We are. That's our problem. Our minds are pornographic. Our minds are sexually ill. God's just looking out for this man's family line, which is quite beautiful. So, because they held to this literal interpretation, they reminded Yeshua, they reminded Yeshua of this law of Moses, you know, about the widows in Israel. Now let's continue on. Watch how preposterous it gets. Now you're getting a feel for it as opposed to something just, you know, I read. I read this a hundred times, Rabbi. What's the big deal? Get to the point. I will. Mark 12, 20 to 23. There were seven brothers. Seven is a number for perfection. That's why you use seven. The first one took a wife, and when he died, he left no children. Then the second one took her, the second brother, and died without leaving children. They didn't have a chance to have children. Then the third one likewise, and none of the seven left children. Last of all, the woman also died. Well, all I know is if I was married seven times, I'd drop dead too. <laughs> I'm barely making it one time. And they asked this question, in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? So they thought they were smart, right? Were they smart? Yes, they were highly educated, just like all politicians today. Some of them you can't even understand. They don't speak to the commoner. You voted. You thought you voted the right way. How you doing? And you think if you voted the other way, it'd be so great. Well, gas would be a lot less. But the bottom line is there's only one person who gets my vote, Yeshua. He's my king. He's my president when it all comes down. They thought they were smart, and they were intelligent. The Savior told them they were abysmally ignorant. Abysmally a fancy word i got to use every now and then to prove i'm jewish but abysmally just means severely and extremely ignorant ignorant is not a bad word 
I can call somebody ignorant. How dare you? Ignorant doesn't mean you're not intelligent. There's a lot of ignorant, intelligent people. Ignorant means you're ignoring the truth. You're willfully choosing not to see the truth. And this is what he says. And he doesn't just say they're ignorant. He tells them what they're ignorant about. Crazy. So here's the story. Seven brothers, they ask the question. Here's the answer, 1224. Yeshua said to them, isn't this the reason that you go astray? Wow. He doesn't even answer. What does he do? This is how we know he's Jewish. Every Jewish person in the universe was taught by their parents who were Jewish and their parents who were Jewish, you always answer a question with a question if you're Jewish. Always. It's brilliant, actually. It's brilliant. It puts them on the defensive. So he asks a question. And he says, you say, you said, Yeshua said to them, isn't this the reason you go astray? And then listen to the scathing remark he makes to the leaders, these power mongers. He said, because you are ignorant of both the Tanakh and I amplified it, you're ignorant to the scriptures. There's no New Testament yet. It hasn't been written. You're ignorant to the scriptures. You're ignorant to Moses. You're ignorant to the Torah and ignorant to the power of God. Now, you've read this a million times. Didn't I scathe it for you? This is how you should read your Bible. Stop memorizing the verse. It doesn't mean anything. Don't memorize it. Feel it. Ingest it. Devour it. So here they are, the smart guys. And he says, you're ignorant to both the Scriptures. Why do you say the Scriptures? You're ignorant to the very thing that teaches the resurrection. And why the power of God? And you're ignorant to the power that raises the dead. You're ignorant to the scriptures that teach resurrection, and you're ignorant to the power that makes resurrection. Isn't that powerful? Wow, what scathing statement. Man, picture the scene. Wow, I'm getting excited. I really am. Here were the social elite, the intelligentsia, the power mongers. They were the aristocrats. They were politically connected to Rome. They were in bed with Rome. They said, we could, we could pay these guys off, man. They were also in bed with the temple. And the power mongers in Jerusalem, they did not relate well to the commoner. They looked down upon the commoner. You think these guys in Washington know you exist? You think the guys on the football field know you exist? If you donate $5 million to their program, they'll know you exist for a dinner. You'll exist for a dinner. I'm sorry, guys, but you got to really wake up and smell the coffee. I'm sorry. And you know what? The commoner didn't like the Sadducees. Because they couldn't relate. They knew they were in their ivory tower. Does this sound familiar? Guys, come on. It's the same thing as it was 2,000 years ago. And now Yeshua comes along, a commoner, an Amharetz. You know what that is? They looked down upon Amharetz. They were people of the land. And Nazareth was the hood. Or shall I say the hood? Can somebody say hood? Let me teach you. Make believe you're trying to get up something in your chest, you know? Little phlegm. Come on. You could do it. Good. Good. This way, when you read Hebrew, you sound Jewish. Nazareth was a poor community. The people from Nazareth was of low esteem, like a kid from the Bronx. The Bronx isn't highly esteemed. Oh, you're from the Bronx? You know? If I tell people I'm from the Bronx, I feel like they're going to say, he's got a knife. No, I don't have a knife. Look. So Yeshua comes along this Amharetz from Nazareth. And he has the audacity to tell them, you're lost. Now, you think Yeshua was just a nice guy? 
he was flagrantly honest because he cared about their soul. You're not going to nice somebody to heaven. Yeshua wasn't nice. He would have been offended if you called him nice. He was real, and he was honest, and he was truthful, and he was kind and compassionate, and he cared about people's eternal destiny. I thought about this scripture just as I was reading that in Matthew twenty-two sixteen. I love this verse. Listen to this. You want to know who your Lord and Savior was? Then the Pharisees went away. They put together a plan to trap him. They sent him some of the Sadducees again because now they said, we couldn't. You guys go in. Remember I told them they got together to trap him. And some members of Herod's party, they sent in the bigwigs. And you know what they said to him? Rabbi, we know that you tell the truth. And we know that you really teach what God's ways is. You know why? Listen to this. You aren't concerned with what people think about you. Now, that doesn't mean you could be mean, sir or ma'am. doesn't mean that. To be unloving, you don't know Jesus. But you must be honest about heaven and hell and eternity. You must be raw and real. You must be like Yeshua. Must be. Matthew 12, 25. For when people rise from the dead, this is what Yeshua says to them, neither men nor women marry, they're like angels in heaven. First, they should have known that the marriage relationship does not continue in heaven. Believers will recognize one another in heaven and will not lose their distinctions as men and women, but they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In that respect, they will resemble the angels in heaven. Now, when he says there won't be any marriage continuing in heaven, I think to myself, how can we hear from the Lord, enter the joy of your rest if you're still married? (laughs) Okay, that's a low blow. I don't want to offend my wife. So let me tell a little story that might win her heart back to me. A rabbi gets a call from one of his congregants, and he says, what can I do for you? And the congregant says, Rabbi, my wife's trying to poison me. And he says, are you serious? He says, yes, I'm very serious. She's trying to poison me. He said, wow, I've never heard that before. He says, I'll tell you what I'll do. Let me talk to your wife, and let me try to find out some information, and I will get back to you. So he calls the guy back, and he says, listen, I spoke to your wife, actually, for three hours And the congregant says, what do you think I should do? He said, take the poison. (laughs) Okay, that didn't win you over. Do you know, I don't really share this with you. Bernadette and I don't put on a song and dance for you. The way I am with Bernadette here is the same way I am with her at home. If I would get angry at home, I'll, I can get angry here. You've seen it before. And people write in all the time and tell us how refreshing it is. I could tell you that a lot of pastors' wives are in pain. They're in such pain. Their marriages are not even existent because they went through hell in their congregations trying to be somebody they weren't. Bernadette and I feel have too much respect for God and too much respect for you to put on an act. We're not putting on this act. It's not like, hey, I'm going to tell a joke so you could think we have a good marriage. By the grace of God, we have a good marriage, but it took a lot of work, you know? I mean, I felt like it was like taming a shrew when I met her. 
38 years, and I finally got her to a place where, you know, she's not barking anymore. But let me, let me, uh, sweetheart, I don't want you to be angry at me when I go home for the poison story, so let me tell you one, okay? This is, this is just for you. So a woman's at the funeral of her late husband, and she's there sitting on the first row with her children, and the officiant is going over, and he's saying, oh, this man was a great man. He was kind, and he was caring and compassionate and a great provider, just a loving husband, a loving husband. And she leans into her son and says, why don't you go up there and make sure that it's your pa that's in the coffin? <laughs> You got to be sure it's him. Okay. Look, I don't really care what you guys think of me. I got to live with her. Some of you I'll never see next week. You know, I'll never see you next week. And who knows, right? I mean, this is my, this is, you know, after God, it's my family. Yeah. And more, and more pastors needed to make their family, needed them to come first and they didn't. And they blew it because you know why they blew it? Because you guys were pulling and pulling and they felt they had to. And they didn't have to. You have to. Sir, you have to be the priest of your family. Your family is your flock. Your church is your home. This is just where you fellowship. Okay. Mark 12, 26, 27. And as for the dead being raised, now he's going to explain to them, not only are they ignorant to the scriptures and the resurrection and the power of God, now he's going to school them. And as for the dead being raised, haven't you read in the book of Moshe? So he's taking them back to what they hold in the highest regard. In the passage about the bush, where's that? At least get the book. Exodus, thank God. How God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Yitzchak, the God of Yaakov. He is God not of the dead, but of the living. You are going far astray, and that's how it ends. So Yeshua takes the Sadducees to school. He brings them back to the burning bush story, Exodus 3, 6. There God spoke of himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yeshua used this, used this to show that God was the God of the living, not the God of the dead. How so? I mean, wasn't Abraham and Isaac and Jacob long gone, a.k.a. fully dead, when God appeared to Moses in Exodus 3? They were dead, right? Dead. Dead as a doornail. Yes, their bodies... Or in the cave at Machpelah in Hebron. So how then is God the God of the living? Well, this is the argument Yeshua is making. Number one, God had made promises to the patriarchs concerning the land, right? He told them there'll be a land called Israel and concerning the Messiah. He said some would come and be a blessing to the whole entire world, right? So he prophesied about Messiah to them. Two, these promises were not fulfilled in their lifetime, correct? It didn't come to pass in a lifetime. Three, when God spoke to Moses at the burning bush, the bodies of the patriarchs were in the grave, right? So far, yes, yes, yes. We checked all the boxes. Four, yet God spoke of himself as the God of the living. Five, he must fulfill his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because he's God. He can't lie. Six, therefore, resurrection is an absolute necessity from what we know of the character of God. In other words, the Lord's parting words to the Sadducees were, you guys are lost the Rabbi Greg version. Because according to Yeshua, those who had died centuries before were very much alive with God at that very moment. 
At that very moment, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are in the Lord's presence. Hallelujah. Let me give you one more example. I just want to this week establish the fact that Yeshua says there's an afterlife. And there's two different compartments one could go. And then we'll get more into those compartments. Okay? I think you have to establish that first. At least that's what God told me. Okay, one more example from Yeshua that he affirms the afterlife. John 14, 1 through 3. Don't let yourselves be disturbed. Trust in God. Trust in me. Okay? He's, he's establishing the fact that there's God the Father, and then there's me, the Messiah. He's not calling himself God the Father. I think we make a little mistake about that, but let me not get into that because that's just going to offend your theology because it's way off. In my Father's house are many places to live. If there weren't, I would have told you. If there wasn't room for you, I would have told you. Because I am going there to prepare a place for you, since I am going and preparing a place for you, make no mistake, I will return to take you with me so that where I am, you may be also. Quick little story. Um, The first time I read this, after I got back from Israel, I don't know why, but I believed it. I absolutely positively believed it more than I believe I'm talking to you right now. Every person I met in my life was a liar, and I was too. This room is full of liars. Every man has lied. Listen, just for the record, sweet pea, I know you're like, I don't lie, either does my mother. You lie on your mom. When your answer machine grabs the phone and says, you're not there, you're there. You're lying. I'm, I'm bringing it down to its base, okay, so that you don't think you're too high. Okay? With Yeshua... Without Yeshua. With Yeshua, without. With, without. Okay? Look at John 14.1. Yeshua is just comforting his disciples, and he's comforting us by telling us about the afterlife. That's the comfort. Not in this life. In that we're trying so hard to be comfortable. Do you see the shoes we wear? The beds we sleep on? $5,000 mattresses. Five G's for a mattress. I know, you're sleeping on one, that's why you're laughing. But you're like saying, no, mine costs seven, Rabbi. (laughs) It's what the astronauts use. (laughs) And NASA. (laughs) Foam. (laughs) When I grew up in the projects, my mattress had a chalk line on it. You know how many dead guys were killed on my mattress before I got it? I had to pick my spot on this single match because the springs came right through. The comfort that we have. Our cars. Massage chairs in the car. I just was in one recently. That's why you're laughing. I'm not saying it's wrong. But I'm saying you're trying way too hard to get comfortable in this world. You're supposed to be uncomfortable in this world. If your world is so comfortable, how are you going to enjoy your rest. Trying too hard. I don't say that you should walk barefoot and hurt your feet. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that trade in your mattress for my old one. It's probably in some prison somewhere in the Bronx. I'm just saying we're trying too hard. Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to your rabbi because that's what's going to make you depressed because you can't try enough to be totally joyful in this life. Okay? It's the afterlife that you should have your sights on. Okay? Should you see joy in this life? Of course, guys, you know. Didn't I just make you laugh? I'm not a depressed person. Well, if you didn't laugh, then you're depressed. Go see a doctor. But I'm just saying, 
he said, in this world, you'll have tribulation. He didn't say you'll have some bad days. He didn't say it's going to rain when you were going to have a picnic. He said you're going to have tribulation. All the first century believers were persecuted. Persecution's coming. Don't you see it? Don't you see it? I'm not political. Remember, can you separate religion from politics? It's very hard because I believe back in the day, the synagogue was the place of politics. That's why they had one synagogue in a town. If you go to Kafarnachum in Israel, there's one synagogue in the middle. And when they had differences, they worked it out. When people had differences, they didn't go to a different service or a different church. Sweet pea, there were no other churches to go to. See, you can get up and go, Rabbi Greg pissed me off, so I'm going to go to ABC Church. And you go there, and you stay there miserable, and you make everybody else miserable because you're a cancer instead of fixing yourself and getting healed. So you run, and you run, and you just keep destroying other places because the cancer spreads. But we had to fix it. We had to sit down and fix it, even if we weren't best friends. We had to work it out and forgive one another. My friend that's witnessing, the one I told you about this morning, Nobody can understand why he's so forgiving. They can't understand these are hardcore people he works with. And they're like, how could you be so forgiving? And he tells them, because Jesus forgave me of so much. That in order for, you don't, don't tell me you love Jesus and you don't forgive somebody. It's, it's just talk. He says, I have to. I've been forgiven of so much. I must. Rabbi, it's not easy. I never said it was. And it wasn't easy for him to go to the cross. That's why he said, Father, take this cup from me. No, it wasn't easy by no means. But in this world, you'll have tribulation. How many people here have been to their children's funeral? How many people there have watched their child go through depression, get addicted to drugs, end up in prison? That's painful. That's worse than death. Just know that all that misery is going to be contained to this life and this life only. Yeshua tells them he's going away, and they will not be able to see him. And he says, please don't be too upset. Please. He says to them, you believe in God, right? But you don't see him? So believe in me the same way. Isn't that beautiful? This is beautiful. Look at the compassion of this Lord of ours. John 14, 2. He says, In my Father's house are many places to live. If there weren't, I would have told you, because I'm going there to prepare a place for you. The Father's house refers to heaven, of course, where there are many dwelling places. There's room for all the redeemed. If it were not so, the Lord would have told them. He would have not had them build on false hopes. So Yeshua says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. So the Lord went back to heaven to prepare a place. We do not know very much about this place. I'll get more into it next week. But we do know that provision is being made for every single solitary child of God. I don't dwell upon heaven. I think about it. Sometimes I say to myself, he has been preparing this place for 2,000 years. I can just imagine how gorgeous it is because look what he did in six days. Verse 3. 14 John, it says, since I'm going and preparing a place for you, I will return to take you with me so that where I am, you may be also. Wow, man, wow. Um, Verse 3 refers to the time when the Lord will come back again in the air. 1 Thessalonians, go home and read it. Chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Read it. It says, encourage each other with this. Encourage. You need to read it on a regular basis. He's going to come back, and when those who have died in the faith will be raised 
and the living in the faith will be changed. And when all the blood-bought throng will be taken to heaven. This is a personal, literal coming of Messiah. As surely as He went, it's as surely as He will come again. Now I want to show you these terms. I want you to go over these terms. Uh, For next week, let's take a look. Heaven, paradise, Abraham's side. Some say bosom, depending on which version you're reading. Sheol, Hades, hell, Gehenna, and lake of fire. What I might do, I just have a few more verses to go over. What I might do is send out the scriptures for next week. If you promise, you'll look at them. Will you? I'm go- you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pray that Netflix temporarily goes out of business this week. Okay? And I'm going to pray that the internet shuts down so you can't spend seven days looking for shoes. You know who you are. Your kids also know who you are. I want to explain these terms next week. And I'm going to make things very simple because it is very simple. Now, I had a question posed to me once, and it was, hey, Rabbi, why must you make everything about God so simple? So, of course, like a good Jew, I answered the question with a question, and I said, I don't know. Why must you make everything about God so incredibly difficult? Do you think Yeshua spoke to the commoner, the laborer? These were uneducated people. They didn't go to education facilities, higher education facilities. They didn't have hot degrees. They didn't. They were fishermen. They were fishermen because their fathers were fishermen. I'm not saying they were dumb. They just weren't of the intelligentsia. Do you think all the stories he told so that they can confuse him? Today, there's guys in the pulpit using big words. The average person doesn't understand what he's saying. I mean, if I'm going to use big words, I'm going to become a Presbyterian minister. Only kidding. (laughs) Some of you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) I have a lot of friends that are Presbyterian. Only kidding. I want to let you know that the scriptures tell, you know what, I'm going to stop here. I was going to just talk about the first and second and third heavens, but, um, oh God, what do I do? I'm going to stop here, but I'm going to leave you with one verse that I was going to talk about, okay? Let's go to the last verse, Luke 23, 43. I just want to, sh- I just want to tell you up front that heaven and paradise and the third heavens are synonymous. When you see those words, it's synonymous, even Abraham's bosom. Now, Hades is different than hell. We're going to get into that because that's different. But when somebody says Abraham's bosom, or they say heaven, or they say he went to the third heaven, or they say paradise, those are all synonymous. That's the abode of the righteous when they die. I'll go over more of that next week. I'll go over it a little bit. It will be still simplistic, but it'll be a little bit more detailed. But I just want to end here. So Yeshua says, yes, I promise. He's saying to the thief on the cross, this murderer who was being crucified for his crime. I promise, which is so much more powerful than I tell you. Like, this is the Lord himself, you know, the Son of God making a promise. You can't get better than that. And he says, yes, I promise that you'll be with me today in paradise. So Yeshua is rewarding his faith, and he promises that very day, okay? Jehovah Witnesses do a horrible job with this. And the reason why? is they don't have a Hebrew scholar on their team. He says that very day that they would be together, not just he's going to send them, but that's where I'm going. I'm going back to heaven, and you're coming with me. Paradise is the same as the third heavens, and it means the dwelling place of God in the eternal home of the righteous. The Septuagint, which is the Greek rendition of the Old Testament, uses Garden of Eden. 
it says you'll be with me in the in the in the um complete jewish bible it says you'll be with me in gan eden and if you think about it genesis 1 2 it's it's a delight it's eden they have fellowship with god there's no tumors there's no cancer there's no sickness there's no sadness there's no divorce court there's no abuse it's perfect then genesis 3 comes and what happens we come on the scene and we sin because God wasn't good enough. Fellowship with God wasn't good enough. And the fall, and it just spirals down. And it's been spiraling down since. Then all of a sudden, Yeshua shows back up in Revelation 19 at the end to fight this war called Armageddon. He throws the enemy in the lake of fire, chains him up, and then he starts to take the throne in 20. But it's still just the millennium. Things start spiraling up, but we're not there yet. We're not home yet. And then 21, 22. It's Gan Eden again. It's the same as it was in Genesis 1 and 2. The last two chapters are identical to the first two chapters. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the Aleph and the Tav. Let me just say this. I can't wait. I, I promise you I say this. Do I have a, a good support team? They're, they're adequate. Let's just say that. Do I have a great congregation? some of you are going to just let you know this year you're going to spend a little bit more time on the bench you're not a starter no i have a great congregation god has saved me from death eight times i've had eight aneurysms i don't there's no reason why i should be talking to you and and many other complications that i don't care to talk about um overall i think things are i would say good for now but i would trade all this in a heartbeat, in a heartbeat, in a twinkling of an eye to see Messiah come. Whatever you're doing, whatever you're involved with that is not pleasing to God, get rid of it. The more of yourself you give to him, the more of himself he will give to you. And I promise you, you will not be disappointed I want to leave you with this. It says, you will be with me today in paradise. To me, this is incredibly encouraging, and it should be encouraging to you. Yeshua says, today, what speed? Not you're going to lay in the grave. Your body's going to be in the grave, but you're coming with me right now. We're going to ascend together, boom, right now, today. Yeshua says, if that's not good enough, you're going to be with me. What company? What company? And Yeshua says, in paradise, what happiness. Man, we have an amazing future. You and I are very, 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 very fortunate and blessed. Let's stand together. I will send out those scriptures Monday, and I hope and pray that you look at them and study them so you have an understanding, so you're not just listening to me talk, but you have an understanding. Uh, it will benefit you. It really will. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his very countenance upon you and give you his peace. In the name of the Prince of Peace, Yeshua. Shalom.